Hello, PodFam, and hello, Rachel. Hi, Laura. How are you today? I am good. How are you? Pretty good. What kind of tea are you drinking today? I have got a peppermint tea. I'm feeling a little bit tired this evening because of the last two days of work were really long days, and I am just trying to drink the right tea that will put me right to sleep after recording, so... Excellent. Well, I might have the tea for you then because I'm drinking some Lala Lavender again and nothing is better than a lavender tea like at nighttime. Yeah. Is is that one good for sleeping or is that one more just calming? Uh, This one in particular, I find it calming. However, I have another lavender one, the uh, lavender honey, which is like you drink it and then half an hour later you're ready for bed. I want that tea. It's so good. Although they don't make it anymore, so we'd have to like make it ourselves. Fair. How was work this week? It's been good. Not too crazy yet, unlike the last couple of weeks. So super grateful for that. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I am just kind of taking advantage of that for right now because I know it's yeah. a bit crazy. <laughs> well, you are, I mean, you are in the finance industry and it is about to be tax time. Well, it already is, but Exactly. That is good to hear. Uh, It feels like whenever you're super busy, I am not super busy. And whenever I'm super busy, you're not super busy. And this is how we're able to produce a podcast. It just works out perfectly. It really does. Some of one of us just takes the uh, shoulder load for a bit. And then the other one does. It's the perfect, perfect working relationship. Yes, and speaking of podcasts, this is episode five, so welcome everyone, welcome to the pod fam, we're super excited to have you here today, because we are going to be going to a pretty dark place, would you say that? Yeah, I don't really. (laughs) No, you're so not excited for this episode, because um, we are going to be doing a bit of a two-parter, so this week we are talking all about uh, toxic workplaces, and For everyone's sake, I hope that it's not a common thing, but I really have, um, you know, the strong feeling that toxic workplaces are more common than we think. And, you know, Rachel and I, we've both been in some pretty extreme uh, work environments, and I feel like kind of excited for this episode because for me, I feel like it's going to like help release some of that like you know, negativity I've held on to from, um, you know, a not so great work situation I've been in, uh, not currently, but in the past, you know, had to move on from that. Uh, what are your thoughts on it? Yeah, I'm, I'm a bit torn because it's definitely difficult for me to go back to that place because that version of myself, she doesn't exist anymore because I was pretty much operating out of survival mode 100% of the time. So, you know, I always try to practice every so often during the day, just kind of sitting in my body being like, okay, we're present. We're like, how are we feeling right now? Are we feeling happy, sad, nervous? What's going on? I never had time to do that. And in reality, I was moving from a place of anxiety the whole time. And it's, I'm excited because I hope that my experience can help people. I hope that 
you know, because I, I did know in advance that this is what it was going to be like. I had a very big gut feeling that I was not going to have a great time there. And I wish I trusted it. So if anyone can learn from my experience, that's really all I want. Definitely. And, you know, same for me. Um, I came from a pretty bad experience as well. And um, yeah, if we can help anyone kind of avoid that or at least pivot out of that life because it's hard. It was really hard to live there, but it was almost twice as hard to leave. Like it's almost the equivalent of a bad relationship, really. Like it's your workplace. You're dependent on it for a paycheck and leaving is really, it's almost scarier than just staying. Yeah. And I also think too, it's really, really hard to leave those situations because when you first apply for the job or, I mean, we won't get into yours too much, but, or go into a family business, you believe that you're really smart. You know, like you are like, okay, this is who I am. This is what I'm capable of. And then it just gets beaten out of you to a point where you start to question yourself and think, am I actually stupid? And if I am actually stupid, am I actually valuable to any other workplace or should I just stay here? Yeah. It's almost like, should I just give up? Yeah. Like, is this just my life? Yeah. Like you pretty much, your confidence just completely falls to the floor Mm -hmm. and suddenly you don't even want to speak up in a meeting because you don't believe that what you have to say is actually valid. No, no. And I think that, um, you know, we, we spoke on imposter syndrome and I feel like a lot of my imposter syndrome when it relates to a workplace did stem from that toxic workplace that I was in because I really didn't have any of those habits before working there. But after, you know, it's, it's taking a long time to unlearn them and believe in myself again. Yeah. And you also, I think having someone to lean on really helps, but having someone to lean on who is your own age helps a lot. And that's where I got lucky with the job that I was working because it kept me, kept me solid. Do you know what I mean? It kept me grounded because if we both had a really bad day, we would just go out for drinks after and just bitch about it for I don't know, two hours, and then you would move on and you'd be fine. Yeah, like that literally just became how we were able to cope and release it. Like we had to just have a sheer like moment of time to let it all out. And then we just magically could drop it until the next day. But yeah. it's just like, wow, that is really not healthy. <laughs> like that's so no. bad. No, it's really not. I would say that I was every day was like a ticking time bomb and was I going to go off that day or not? Absolutely. Like at what like what point at what point during you know say it was the month of January how many days into January would it take for my top to blow off? Yeah. And who was going to do it, right? Like was it just going to be someone used the wrong tone of voice and like then they just became uh, pretty much the target of, of all your frustration and anger. Mm-hmm. And I, th- the one thing that was awful about my job was that 
uh, there was no release. I didn't have customers to get angry at or I didn't have, you know, if I even so much just spoke my opinion to my two bosses, I'm pretty sure that they would just beat me into submission. Yeah, pretty much. Verbally, but you know what I mean. Yes, yes. So before we get too far down this road, so as we were saying, it's going to be a two-parter. This first part is going to be all about Rachel's story and her experience and her talks at workplace. And then part two will be my experience. And it's it's kind of interesting because we both went through this pretty much the same time. I know I had worked at my workplace a little bit longer um, only because I graduated earlier. So I just had been there a little, a couple years longer than you were. And um, yeah, we just, we just got to get this out, I feel like. And once it's out, you know, I feel like the people who need to hear it, they're going to hear it and hopefully it can help them. But for us too, I feel like we can just talk about it and then move on. And it's kind of like closing that chapter because we've both done a lot of work over the past, um, scary as it is, it's only been six months since we both left our our toxic work environments. Uh, It feels like it's been two years. Oh my God. I'm just like, who is that girl? I don't know her. Like, who's that, Laura? I don't think I'd recognize her on the street. No. Yeah, but we've both been doing a lot of work. So I feel like this is the moment where we get to close that chapter. I think so too. So welcome to story time with Laura and Rachel. I apologize if I cry. (laughs) Now, before we get into it, I was kind of thinking, you know, as we're building the PodFam community, you know, it would be so great if you feel like you have a story um, about a toxic workplace and you want to share it. You know, I think this could be a great opportunity where you know, we could bring some of our, our listeners on to the show to share and hopefully like have that same release and uh, end of the chapter closure that we're trying to have. Oh, definitely. I think that's a good idea. And we'll probably, I guess, let's just put our email in the show notes. Yeah. So if you want to come share your story, uh, you can find our email down in the show notes. We want to talk to you. We're super excited about connecting with our listeners. So yeah, let us know. But Rachel, I think it's time for you to take it away. How about you start with just laying down the framework? You know, um, what industry were you working in? How long have you been there? Give us the details. Oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like, where to start? I have no idea. Where, where to start. To start. So I'm just going to make an announcement and uh, pretty much by me just indicating which industry I'm working in, you'll probably be able to guess what it was like, but I worked in the film industry, not in something cool like a production company. I worked at a talent agency. So pretty much just think about the worst mix of sales and like I don't even know how that's not a good sentence can can I like actually I'm no okay so everyone this is what I want you to picture in your minds I'm assuming that most of you have seen the devil wears Prada yes that's all I'm gonna say that's 
That was your work environment, although your boss was not as cool as Miranda Priestly. Because I no, I personally no kind of like Miranda Priestly, even though she was like a badass bitch. She was still a badass bitch. Yeah, no one is as fabulous as Miranda Priestly, and she most definitely was not. But pretty much, I was just Andy. I was just Andy. And so I was her assistant. Except I wasn't just her assistant. I was also the assistant to the managing director. And they just, hmm, how do I explain them? You know what? I'm going to explain them later. I will say that I was there for a year, actually exactly a year, pretty much. I started working there in early July, actually mid-July of 2019, and I kid you not, Laura, the day that I decided that I was I needed to quit slash leave was the exact day that I started a year before. Yeah, you you had done your time, so to say. Yeah. And it was funny too because I had really gotten used to my role and the relationship that I developed with my boss, not the other, not the managing director, but with her was one where I really craved approval. So if I if I could make her laugh, that was like, wow, we had a good day today. So my life started becoming, okay, I have a good day if she's nice to me or I have a good day if she says thank you. And I had gotten so used to that because it was my first job and I'm not the kind of person who would quit within four months. To be honest, the older I get and the more work experience I get, the more I think that if you're in that bad of an environment, leave. But I didn't. So I got so used to that toxic relationship that we had developed where I was just craving her approval that it wasn't until I went on a vacation uh, this past summer for about a week. And the difference in me from my working life to just that one week that I had off, like they were completely different people. And it was by leaving that environment for just a week and realizing how different I am when I'm not there. When I went back after that week-long vacation, I couldn't handle it anymore. Like I, I was literally cracking under the pressure and I was starting to make mistakes that I would never have made before And I was starting to fight back too because I was just completely over being told that not – they were – they would never tell you. They never verbally said like you're dumb or you can't do this or whatever. But they would micromanage you to a point where it felt like you had to ask for approval to send an email to say, hey, can you be on a call at 10 a.m.? Yeah, and I remember that because, you know, we would talk quite a bit um, because we had to be each other's support through a lot of those days. And yeah, you just, you you could not take one step without asking for permission. That's what it sounded like some days. Yeah, I, I absolutely couldn't. And it made my job really hard because she didn't like to work, but I couldn't just take on her work. So she would pretty much kick me down during the day and just say like, oh, you stress me out or, oh, 
you know, your job is to make my life easier. And I would just say that I'm trying, but you don't let me. I don't have any freedom. I don't have any autonomy. I can't even send this production company a resume without your approval. How am I supposed to make your job easier? Yeah, that's definitely that micromanaging of, you know, she she didn't value you or give you any of her trust. And that's really hard in a workplace because so much is built on trust in a business. You can't have any success unless you trust your employees, your coworkers, and your management. Like it's just one giant web. But if that's not there, you know, how how can you do anything? Exactly. And it's a lot worse when you are literally their assistant. They have to trust you and they don't. And there's definitely I geez, we're starting to get emotional. I remember this really stands out to me is, would you say that I'm an emotionally intelligent person? Yes, I would say you are. Okay. Like, you know, I have my moments, whatever. And I know that I can be a bit intense. That's just who I am. And I've worked really hard to get to a point where, okay, this is just me. And this is how great it makes my life. One time when I, towards the end, I started to express myself and be like, okay, this isn't working for me. What am I doing wrong? Like, what can I do to change this? And basically, she told me that um, I was not emotionally intelligent and I need to learn how to read the room better and that and that she has uh, no way to assist me in that. She can't you know, she she couldn't advise anything to do it, but, you know, I should just work on it. Except no one else had ever said anything about that. No one had ever, sorry, no one had ever said anything about me like that before. So pretty much she was just saying that my way of existing was too much for her. And when that person had basically been your life for a year, that really hurts because you think you're doing such a good job and you think that you've really got this handled. And then suddenly she tells you that, you know, you're an awful person or you're shitty at your job or you're responsible for any negative emotion that she feels or any stress that she feels during the day. Yeah, and I think that's just a clear indication right there of someone who is not secure in their own emotions yeah definitely definitely not I think that she would she wasn't a very happy person I don't think and she wanted to make sure that everybody else wasn't happy right now you kind of had a bit of a a double whammy so to say because you also were the assistant of another director so what was that experience like did you experience the same uh toxicity or um was it a little bit better he was were he it's really hard because they were bad and they were almost equally bad but in different ways where he was he was the type who would assign a project to you that made no sense at all just no sense like he would be like find me this and you're like what is that 
or do the it's not my story but one time a co-worker tried to he called her saying I need you to do this tonight and it was 5 30 you know like that's yeah. not fair at all to her and he would assign and these projects that he would assign were huge and he would be like why isn't this done but the project reasonably would take two months and he would want it done in two days and he was also the type too who he would just kind of talk to you like you were an idiot and he would never say it to your face he would just write it in email but I remember at one point what really set me off, this was actually the moment that completely broke me and I was like, I can't do this, was when he asked I had taken a day off because I had a really bad migraine. And by migraine, I mean I just had really bad anxiety. And there was something that I was supposed to send, but I said, hey, I can't, like I'm obviously not there to send it. And I kid you not, I started work the next day at 9 a.m. He messaged me at 9.15 asking where it was. And I said, it's almost ready, but I need this information from you before I can do it. And he was like, okay, fine, use these. But then he said that, you know, you should really get up to speed on the kind of stuff that we send these people. Like you need to get up to speed on the, the client materials that we have. After a year of me working there. So I responded and said, I am up to speed. You just didn't answer my email. I sent these to you two days ago and like didn't respond to nothing. And that's what I mean is that it was always, they would always jump to the worst expectation of you. But when you proved them wrong, they would never apologize. No, because in their mind, they're not wrong. You're just always wrong. My existence is wrong. (laughs) (laughs) How dare you exist? Yeah, I mean, they hired me for a reason, but I guess <laughs> I guess I wasn't very good at my job. Yes. Now, oh, on that note, I want to get into your coworkers, but just because I know this little tidbit of information, what number of assistant were you? And this is like so so just uh, before you answer that Rachel, just so everyone knows, um this is about the turnover rate of this particular role working for these two people. Okay, Rachel, say it. I think I was number 13 and the company had only existed for 18 years. And I think right there shows how poor of management style that these people have because, you know, Yes, it was an entry-level position, but I'm pretty sure I remember you telling me that 13, like of those 13 people, none of them had actually moved up in the company. They were no longer there. And that is just a spotlight on how toxic an environment can be if it has that high of a turnover rate. Oh, yeah. Absolutely no one got promoted. And that year mark is a breaking point. You think you can do it, but at a certain point, you just can't anymore. And there's not enough structure or they're starting to ask you to do things that just don't make sense or they make your workload like way too heavy to a point where what what they're asking you to do is completely redundant. And you just you just can't. You, you just have to leave. Yeah, and, and, the, and the toxic traits aside, I feel like um, – 
something that's kind of common across a few different industries of that entry level position is that you know it's it's cheaper for them to just get rid of you right mm-hmm. because that way they bring someone new in they can still charge them or sorry they can still pay them that entry level salary and you just move on yep and then they never have to answer for their promises that they give in the interview. No, because then they just get to burn out someone new in, in another year. Yep, pretty much. And pretty much. But it's it's not their fault, Laura. It's millennials. <laughs> it's the millennials. It's, it's our fault. Yes, even though probably the Gen Xers were working for them 18 years ago. Most so it's, definitely. it's also the Gen X fault. The millennials, the Gen X, it's everyone. Soon it'll be the Gen Z. It's absolutely never their fault. Of course not. Okay, so we've talked management, and that's really the source of where the the toxicity came from for you. What were your coworkers like? Did you get that same kind of toxic feeling from them, or were they almost like kind of um, people you could relate to because they went through the same thing? So there's two answers to this question. There is a yes and there's a no. So the no is one of the other, just one of our coworkers. She was just very attached to my bosses, which is fine, whatever. I just, you, she was like a lovely woman. Don't get me wrong. You just knew you couldn't tell, you couldn't say anything to her where I was very, very close with another assistant and um, one of the higher up people in that company. And I still am friends with them to this day. They're both lovely people. And just having their support and have being able to actually say, like talk to them fully and say, this is what's going on and having them understand and support you made all the difference. Like, I don't think without them, I would have made it that far. Yeah. And I know like I was a bit of a support person for you, but I was so removed from what was actually happening that I think, you know, I agree, you really needed those inside people to to talk to. Yeah, because the problem, it was always very difficult to explain what was going on because like I said before, they never said anything explicitly. It was always very subtle and passive aggressive that it's almost you can't explain it to an outside person in a way that they fully understand. Right. Just having a short pause. (laughs) Next question. (laughs) Next question. All right. Okay, so we've kind of talked about how um, everything that was going on affected you at work. How did it affect you outside of work? Now, I know you had said that you had taken that one-week vacation and that was like your moment of awakening to what was – happening to you but while you were in the thick of it what was going on when you weren't at work okay so fun fact I've always had a bit of anxiety and depression I had that when I was in school but it just it made it so much worse like I would go on the bus in the morning and I would bring a book with me so that I could keep myself busy and I, I loved those bus rides. That was the, my favorite part of the day because it was 
a nice 30 minute span where they weren't asking me for something. It was like you're priming. <laughs> yeah, like it it literally was like I was priming for the day. Like I was trying to get centered and get my brain working because I knew that the second I would get there, they would be asking so much of me. But have you ever heard of I can't remember exactly what it's called, but it's this term about procrastinating your bedtime? No, I haven't. Okay. I think it's like revenge bedtime procrastination or something like that. Let me yeah. Give me a second. I'm gonna look it up. Yep. I'm watching the cat. We have the, you know, the screensaver that bounces around on the TV corners. Yes. She's um she's watching it. <laughs> and I'm watching her watch it. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I was right. So pretty much it's basically that people feel so out of control of their lives during working hours or during, you know, say you're in school, whatever, it doesn't matter, that basically they put off going to bed no matter how tired their body is because they think that that time between when work or school ends is the only time that they have to actually focus on themselves and do things for themselves. It's like their life is not their own before 6 p.m. at night. So going to bed at 9 when your body is tired, you're like, no, I've only had three hours to, to do my own thing. So you're just continuously putting off going to sleep so your body is getting more and more tired. So then you're getting more and more messed. Like, you know, your health is declining. Probably for me, at least, my mental health was declining. And it was really just a big mess. And yeah. Okay. Wow. I just heard of that and I can already relate so hard. <laughs> yeah. And I think, well, we've talked about it already, but you know, like I'm a really active person. Like during lockdown or the recent lockdown, I was doing yoga every day. I was, I had like a little resistance training workout and I would go hiking like three times a week. Right. But back in that time, even though I had come from being very consistent in the gym, I did not work out at all. Like the sheer thought of going to the gym after work made me miserable. And I also don't think that I ever made dinner. I maybe made dinner and lunch like, I don't know, probably like five times a month. And I would just order in or like, you know, I would buy lunch at work otherwise because I couldn't bring myself to do anything because I was so exhausted. Yeah, like um, you just needed all that time after work to rest. Yes. I remember one time when I had first started the job. And don't get me wrong, when you first start a job, you're always pretty tired. But it was before I had kind of gotten used to what was going – what was happening to me. And – I came home from work at five, I would leave work at 5.30 and I got home around six and I put my bag on the floor and I walked upstairs and I fell asleep. Yeah. Like you just had nothing left. And I find sometimes when you start that new job, it's like a bit of the excitement and then you're tired from the adrenaline. So maybe that's like initially what you were feeling at first, but then that feeling never went away and it just kind of transitioned into the stress. Yeah. And pretty much my (laughs) mental health at the time was already not good and it definitely did not get any better. I remember one night I sat down on the couch and I had four bags of microwave popcorn 
and watched Outlander and I did not move. Sometimes that's that's the therapy right there. <laughs> See, not the ideal you know therapy, but <laughs> like if you want to do that, ten out of ten, great. But I think there's a difference between doing it because you know what, you just want to hang out and have one of those nights versus I literally couldn't bring my body to do anything else. Yeah, like that was becoming your life. <laughs> yeah, it <laughs> it definitely did become my life and I didn't realize until I left and started to focus on, okay, what do I really like to do and started developing hobbies that I realized like I didn't have – I didn't live a life during that year. I did not have my own life. No, you were too busy living their life. Yeah, and they have no they I didn't have any respect for my life. I mean, the amount of money and lack of benefits that I was making can really nab that on the head. Mm-hmm. Because and it was bad because it was a perpetual cycle where my mental health was bad, so I wasn't making good food and I wasn't exercising whatever, so I would buy food every day. So the little amount of money that I was making was just going to food. So I couldn't save up any money. So in reality, I didn't leave with anything to show Yeah, from this position. Yeah. Now talking of leaving, how did you finally get out of the situation? Okay. Like you've had your awakening, you know, what was your next step? Okay. So before I get into this, um, I realized that not everyone can do what I did because I am in a very fortunate position that I could leave without having my next job lined up. Mm-hmm. So, but it did take a sacrifice. You know, you you did end up moving home though, didn't you? Yes and no. Yes and no. So what happened was, you know, that moment where he said that, you know, I needed to get it to get like I needed to understand these things more even though I did and then the call that we had where I was told that I'm not emotionally intelligent and everything is my fault and part of it was actually that I said hey this is starting to really upset me what's wrong and they said back to me oh I thought that you had um other things that you wanted that you had issues that you wanted to talk about and I'm like yes that is the issue So after that call, I had about (laughs) – Laura can attest to this because I called her probably a thousand times. I had a weekend that was just awful. Like I was crying all the time. I was calling Laura. I was calling my parents just trying to figure out what to do next because I knew I couldn't stay. You know, when you write a pros and cons list and you have three pros and 20 cons, you know you need to leave. And – So I remember I called my family who I'm lucky enough, like my family has a family business. If I ever needed to fall back on it, I can. So, oh, also side note, I was studying for the LSAT at the time. Yes, I was kind of thinking about that and we almost need to like back up maybe what, four months before that call. Yes. So I started to study for the LSAT in March when the original, like, when we still called it 
Corona when that (laughs) original lockdown hit. And for a while, I could balance it pretty easily because, you know, the exam wasn't, the exam was still far away. Like I would study for two hours after work, whatever. And my relationship with my boss was pretty good. And also work was really quiet because of COVID. So, you know, I think like March through May in the film industry, if not longer, like it didn't exist unless you were a writer. So there wasn't much for me to do. But eventually, as I started to really realize like why I wanted to go to law school, I got way more intense about my studying and I got way more intense about getting uh, the best possible score that I could that I would start to study at work. Like I would, if it was a quiet afternoon, I would just open my, I would stop working and just open my book. I would keep, you know how on like uh, Gmail, you know, like how they have like the G chat thing. Yep. So if you move your cursor, then it shows that you're live, right? (laughs) Every five minutes, just give that mouse a jiggle. (laughs) So yeah, that's what I would do is I would just give it a jiggle. But basically it had gotten to a point where my mental health was deteriorating to a point where like I wasn't even able to study because it, my, uh, one of my close friends who was, who's actually my roommate, she told me that, you know, I think that your mental health symptoms are starting to present themselves physically because I felt reasonably happy, like happier than I have in the past, but my body was definitely saying no. Like it was, you know, like I was always just in like, I was basically flat at all times. Yeah. Like you had been in the fight or flight mode for so long that your body physically could not go on anymore. Exactly. And basically when that call happened, and the exam was only a month away, I just thought to myself, like, I have no future here. What am I doing sacrificing the future that I want for these people that do not care? Mm -hmm. Exactly. And that's kind of what spurred it is that um, basically created a plan with Laura and my family about how do I get out of there, except – I wound up telling them what my future plans were, and they decided to fire me instead. (laughs) Oh, that day. That was an interesting day because it was bittersweet, right? Like it was almost like you had been hoping for that to happen, yet when it did, there was obviously that shock as well. Yeah, because it was like best case scenario because I don't know how I hope that we have listeners from all over the world and I don't know how it is in other countries, but where we are, you can't get government support when you're unemployed if you quit. You can only get it if you were let go because of reasons beyond your control or, you know, like maternity, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So it was like best case scenario, like, okay, I, I don't have to work in my family business, like, or I don't have to go to my family for support. I'm good because with what I was getting, uh, when I was on the government support was it could cover my bills, whatever. Mm -hmm. But But because you were also let go, they had to pay you out. They did. I did also get a nice 
lump sum, not very much. Um, read your contracts, guys, because they will make sure to uh, – some people will definitely make sure to write it in a way where they don't owe you any severance and you still have to work there for another two weeks, which was great. Um, but I definitely – I cried that day, not because I was upset really that I lost my job, but I was scared. And I was also a bit heartbroken at the same time because I had put all of this work in and nothing came of it. And actually, <laughs> we're going to have a, a episode on like spiritual mediums and stuff later. But I had a, a tarot reading a couple uh, month ago and she pulled this one card and it was kind of like a recent past, the feeling around it. And I kid you not, Laura, the card was basically saying that uh, all of these, it, the theme of it was that uh, you would put all of these plans in place for a result and nothing happened. So how it was interpreted was like, you know, you put all of this work in and you put all of this time and you put your heart and soul into something and you have literally nothing to show for it. I think that sums your experience up there to a T. It, it really does. And, you know, I was really lucky that I had lots of support around me to help me through it. And I think I was torn between laughing and crying for a while. And then, you know, there was like a bit of panic as well. But, you know, you could definitely tell within like days of my last day there, like I was a completely different person. Yeah. Like your your spirit actually came back very soon after you left. Like, and I know you needed that time to physically rest because your body was completely done. But then after you got that rest, you know, you discovered who you were again. And mm -hmm. there really was a big change in how, um, you know, you would speak to me and to other people and your parents. Like, we could just tell that you were back. Yeah. And I'm not kidding, guys. I could not get myself to wake up before 10, p uh, 10 a.m. or 11 a.m. for two months after. Like I physically – I'm glad – I'm almost glad that I didn't have another job lined up after because I don't think I could have made that transition. Like I literally needed to not do anything for two months after. If you – I mean you got to count the LSAT but, you know, I was – still sleeping until 10 a.m. on those days. Yeah, and that's why we thank God and Spirit for EI and CERB. <laughs> we were able to do that. We love her. We love her. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so Rachel, we are six months, I think, about six months post you leaving that awful place. Um, did you have any ramifications when you started your new job, um, I know you had those couple months off, but then you did kind of get a bit of um, a fun job, I'm going to say, because it's just a seasonal position. And of course, COVID has really turned it upside down. But if we go to like the base level of a workplace, um, were there anything like emotionally that you brought over from your last job? Uh, what was that like? Uh, well, for one, I love my job right now and I'm really grateful for that. Um, <laughs> thank you to Laura's mom 
for helping set that up. <laughs> we keep things in the family. <laughs> Got to keep things in the family, you know? Uh, yeah, I definitely, I definitely think that taking two months to taking those two months to get my confidence back, I needed it because otherwise I would have been like a shell of a human being. And to be honest, there weren't many ramifications because I think I had gotten to a point in my life where I realized that how people treat you is just a reflection of themselves. So I, while it really damaged my spirit and it damaged my body, I didn't internalize a good amount of it. Right. So when you were in your new workplace, you know, you weren't uh, jumpy, so to say, or you weren't like, oh my God, they're going to tear me apart if I do something wrong. Yes. I was, I was a little bit jumpy just when, you know, say I would make a mistake or say that, you know, I, I wanted to speak up in a meeting. I would, that would take a lot for me, but my boss is also very supportive and he kind of treats me in a way where like I am the right hand person and he wants my feedback. He wants my input. And we also have just very similar senses of humor. So like I laugh all day, every day at work. Like you're actually for the first time in a long time actually having fun at work. Yeah. Like I actually like, I like going like that car ride to work, just bump into my Taylor Swift is so fun. And yeah, I think that in a way it was, I almost developed a really thick skin because now literally people will throw things at me, you know, like customers or other coworkers, whatever. Not that the coworkers do it often, but you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. And it does not affect me because I have always lived through worse. Yeah. Yeah. Like you just know how to handle it now. Yeah. Yeah. And it's nice too because – you know, I'm still just a support person, but it feels like it's mine. Yeah. Like you you actually have control in what you're doing now. Like you have a say, you're allowed to have an opinion, give your role a direction, and people respect that now. It's not like you are constantly being told every step that you need to do every day. Exactly. And you know, sometimes I still have my boss like read communications just for a second pair of eyes. But we work as a team as opposed to I have I exist just to uh, service him. Right. It's more of a partnership as opposed to like <laughs> a dictatorship. Is that a good definition? I think that's an excellent de- – <laughs> I was going to say an excellent dictatorship. Yes, you know, it's an excellent <laughs> way to put that. And I know that this job is more of a, a stepping stone for you. You know, it's not uh, something you're planning to make a career because you are working at getting into law school right now. But I really do think that this was the perfect situation for you to go into after um, what you experienced at the last job. And I think it would have been pretty tough if you had stayed there, which was one of your original plans, if I recall correctly, was to stay at that original workplace until you went to school. But in my honest opinion, I think you would have been going to law school completely on an empty tank. 
oh, I, I wouldn't have survived it. And that's the thing is that this job actually fulfills me. Like, you know, I just worked two 10-hour days, but I liked it. You know, I'm tired, but it was fun. And, you know, I'm going to get a bit like woo-woo right now. But I remember saying to – because for a while I moved up with my family for the winter, but – it was like a two hour commute to this job. And everyone around me was like, except for Laura, basically. <laughs> Laura drives a lot. So anyone who drives as much as Laura, I'm like, oh, cool. It's normal. It's You're like, a normal thing. Cool, everyone cool, cool, drives cool, cool, two cool, hours cool, cool, to go cool. places, okay? <laughs> cool, 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 cool. So, but everyone was saying, like, why would you take this job that is two hours away? Like, why would you do it? And I just had this like deep intuitive sense where I was like, this is where I need to go. And this is where I need to be. I don't know who I'm going to meet. I don't know why I need to go there, but I do. And it was probably like the best decision I made in a long time because, you know, obviously I wasn't working during the lockdown, like a lockdown period that we have, but you know, I got brought right back in and it's just, I, I feel like myself again and I feel smart again. Like I feel competent in a way that I was never allowed to feel at my last job. Yeah. Like you have your confidence back now in your ability. Yes. Which is nice because it's nice to remember I'm actually smart. Yeah. <laughs> Not just a stick in the mud. Yes. I actually, you know, <laughs> the finance degree actually means something. <laughs> there you go. Well, I think that's just an awesome story to share with people because your point of view really was that first job out of school, um, entry-level position, and really just being taken advantage of by the management. And, mm -hmm. you know, I, I really think your story could definitely help some people, especially our listeners who are um, currently job searching. But yeah. is there anything else you want to say about that experience? Not necessarily about that experience, but you know what? The world is messed up anyway. If you, if it is your first job out of school and it is awful to a point where you literally would rather get hit by the bus that you take to work than actually go to work, choose yourself and just cut it. You're going to find another job. You're going to be fine. Don't put yourself through that because it's not worth it at all. No, definitely not. So that is uh, that's that's some the tea. tea. That is some that's tea, the tea for right me. There. And let's wrap this episode up and talk about ways to avoid toxic work environments. And maybe like you can chime in here a little bit, Rachel, because you went through a very extensive um, interview process for getting mm -hmm. that job. Um, I think it was more extensive than the actual job <laughs> once you got there. It was. So just some ways for our listener, you know, if you're out job searching right now, um, just some things you can do, a little bit of homework so you know that this place is for you. And, you know, like Rachel said, if it doesn't feel right and you're there and it doesn't feel right, never be afraid to leave. It's super hard, but in the long run, it's definitely worth it. 
Um, so definitely trust your gut if it's telling you something. Uh, so literally, for- yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Literally work as a server as you look for a new job. You're going to make more money. The money's just so good. And like as much as we all hate serving, it's so hard to give up because of the money. It really is. Except eventually you're like, I can't stand up for this long anymore. No, that's such a physically demanding job. It's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway – doing your thing, doing a little side job as you're looking for the job. Um, Definitely use websites like Glassdoor or try and talk to current employees of the company you are trying to approach. I find that there's lots of good reviews on there, especially if it's a larger company. And, you know, if you do kind of get to know someone there, find out what the turnover rate is. I think that's super important, especially for the entry-level jobs. And ask, you know, are these people – transitioning out of this role and moving up in the company or are they moving out? I think that's very definitive of what a good company is. Uh, If they care about their employees, they want to be moving them up, not out. Yes. And also when you're in the interview, if they say one of these two things or both, uh, we are a collaborative team or there is lots of room for growth here. Um, they're lying. Get out. Because <laughs> everyone has a collaborative team. It's like, just just get out. Just get out. If they say that we collaborate or similar, like, oh, we're like a family here, get out. <laughs> just go. Uh, so true. And uh, yes, carry on. Carry on with your wisdom. Oh, I'm just you know, my wish list of things that I wish I had listened to my instincts on. Um, yeah, I think as well, if they say that, can you handle being in a uh, fast paced environment and balance a lot of priorities, your life is going to be hell. Um, because you're literally going to have to multitask four people's jobs. And I say four as in the number four. So (laughs) you're just a little bitter, right? Just a little little bit. Like if the job description, if you uh, change the wording a bit, if it would sound like, do you thrive in a very stressful environment? If it it can loosely translate into that, just don't, (laughs) just don't take it. Okay. Well, continuing on, um, you don't, try. you don't have a, you don't have an addition to that. <laughs> I'm trying to give some solid facts here and you're just like, just fuck everything. <laughs> I'm if just... their job description has words, fuck it. <laughs> okay. You know what I'm, you know, those job descriptions. No, no. They're definitely those standard template job descriptions. Hey, we've all done them for someone where you literally Google it and you're like, okay, copy paste, you know, we're a great place to work. Please. You're actually taking over my job. Please just be hired. <laughs> yep. Um, no, like definitely watch the wording and how they phrase things in interviews. And I find it's hard in interviews because like you're nervous and stuff, but if you really tune in and listen to uh, your instincts, you kind of get a vibe from, Mm -hmm. you know, your potential boss. And don't be afraid to ask questions. Like they may be interviewing you, 
but you are also interviewing them. This is a marriage when you're going into a career and it needs to fit you just as much it needs to fit them. Yeah. And can I give like a spiritual fact? Of course you can. Go ahead. Because I'll back to a story time, but I remember the day that I got offered the job, right? I had this feeling when I got called. I knew it was going to be off because the interview, but you know, when you haven't been around the block enough, awkward interviews, you're like, oh, it's just awkward. I remember when I was offered the job, it was over the phone. I was filled with panic and I was filled with anxiety. Like, should I take it? Should I take it? Should I take it? And looking back on it, I also was kind of pushed into starting that job before I was ready because I said that, okay, can I start in a month? Which I think is pretty standard. Like most corporate offices, you can do that. And they pushed me into starting two weeks later. So (laughs) clearly, clearly, let's just think about this. They were moving number 12 out Mm -hmm. and – They needed number 13 to fill the position before her two weeks was up. Yes. So what I'm trying to say there is that if you're in the interview or if you're offered the job, trust that feeling if you're feeling – if you feel like a red flag is coming up, trust it. Like trust yourself. Yeah, that's definitely true. Yep, yep. Yep. All right. Well, that was a lot of tea. That came out today so I think we're gonna end it there uh definitely tune in for episode six where you get to listen to my crazy story um I'm excited to share it I'm a little nervous but I can do this it's time to release it and don't forget we would love to hear your story and help you through your toxic work environment or if you just want to share what's going on um, you can check out our show notes you'll find our email address there send us an email and we'd love to have you on the show but until next time live like tea live like tea